Would you mind telling me whose brain I did put in? And you won't be angry? I will not be angry. Abby someone. Abby someone. Abby who? Abby normal. This is the Abby Normal Podcast, here to tell you that you're weird, and that's normal. There's a lot of strong emotions in middle school and high school. The high of listening to an amazing song you've never heard before, maybe while cruising with the windows down and the wind rushing in your hair. The lows of your first boyfriend or girlfriend breaking up with you. The anxiety you get when you get to school and your best friend is out sick and you're not sure exactly who to talk to. And we flow between all of these feelings all in one day. I have a note right here that talks about, I'm sick of fighting this battle by myself. I always feel alone. And then two sentences later, it says, do you think we'll have a good show for our birthday party? It has to be the best. (laughs) The emotions are all over the map. And then there are these intense permeating feelings of despair and self-loathing that may be caused by what's happening in, in their life, or it may just be how they feel all the time. There's a lot of these feelings in the notes, and we offer each other encouragement. I feel the same. No, of course people like you. Hey, your hair looks great today, etc. Here's one that starts with me, and then it has my friend's response. Okay, I'm not mad at you or Jess or anyone. It's just that I feel no one cares about me. I don't belong anywhere. I'm just like a nobody. I mean, no one really cares what I'm doing or where I am. I could disappear off the planet and no one would notice. I don't want to always be a tag-along to everyone that I'm with. Response. I know exactly how you feel. I always feel like a loner. It's a part of life. And I would notice if you left. And I care. Abby, I love you. and never forget that. I'm sorry I haven't been there for you. Actually, I haven't been a good enough friend for anyone because I've had a few problems of my own. Let's talk to some friends about these big emotions that they had growing up how they handled it, what they learned, and what tools they use in adulthood. We're going to start with Annie, who recently made a self-care decision. You'll also hear my aversion to a term that may or may not be real. Sober curious. No. Oh, yeah. My anxiety totally manifests in weird ways, and I have, like, phantom chest pains, phantom arm pains, and I am constantly afraid that I'm about to have a heart attack. And sometimes it spurs my insomnia, which you, you know I have insomnia. I'm, I'm not a good sleeper. Correct. But part of that is because I'm afraid I'm about to have a heart attack, so I'm afraid to go to sleep because I'm afraid if I go to sleep, I'll have a heart attack and die in my sleep. I mean, isn't that the way we all want to go? Not in my 30s, <laughs> ideally. Oh, okay. Right? <laughs> ideally, no. Right. So I think I need to go back to my doctor and talk to her about my anti-anxiety medication because <laughs> so, <laughs> maybe we need some adjustments. You're still feeling that way. Yeah. I mean, it was it was better for a little while and it suddenly come back. I don't know why. I'm also thinking maybe it's because of the drinking too much too often that I talked about with you and why I'm doing a oh two-month dry spell. <laughs> Do not. I said it. 
if you speak the terminology for being sober in the Bay Area, I'm going to punch you in your face. Sober curious. <laughs> it's just so pretentious. I know. It's terrible. Like, but I'm saying it as a joke. The, I'm not saying it sincerely. You know that, right? I know. It's just like, it's what's douchey about the Bay Area. You know, there's like millions of people that don't drink alcohol or they have like a glass of wine once a quarter or whatever and they just live their lives. But the Bay Area has to come up with like a term for that. I'm special. I'm so special. Yeah, we're all snowflakes here. (laughs) You have to have a thing about you. You have to have a thing to put on your Tinder profile. Exactly. So you have to have a short phrase or an acronym. And there needs to be a flag involved. Do you have a a flag for your your moments of sobriety? It's like black with a gray dot on it. Why? Just for like the bleakness of life without alcohol? Exactly. Oh. No, life is not bleak without alcohol. I understand that. Life is equally happy whether you're sober or not sober. You just don't need a term to call yourself that. I mean, it can just be sober. I'm just going to be sober for two months. Okay. Sorry, are we not even okay with the word sober? No, I'm perfectly happy with sober. (laughs) Okay. It's just the sober curious you're not okay with. Exactly. Yes, that's correct. I'm happy with sober. I'm happy with not always sober. Uh-huh. I just don't feel like you need a special term to call yourself. Right. No, but that's why I say it with deep sarcasm. Okay. Like sober Thank curious. You. Like you're oh you're my no 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 gosh. Abby. I'm just saying like so I, I guess I guess part of it is because I just like don't totally understand the term. And it doesn't seem appropriate as a term. Like is it it seems appropriate if you're calling it like a movement people curious about sobriety the sober curious movement i mean don't 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 get me wrong like i I think it's still dumb as all get out but to have it be like a movement but stop it so we're not going to talk about it you don't want to talk about it that's what i'm getting from you right now let's find a person who is legitimately quote sober curious and if they want to come on and talk to us about this i am open to hearing about it i just feel like it's making a thing out of a thing that doesn't need to be a thing yeah exactly people drink people don't drink people drink and then don't drink again and then drink again and that is all fine that will be me i don't need to have a term for like i eat pizza when i'm on my period and then I don't eat pizza for three weeks, and then I eat a pizza again. I don't need to have a term for that. Oh, I have a term for that. It's called the Red Baron. (laughs) Fine. Fine. I am having the Red Baron and am eating pizza, and I don't need to post that on any social media. No. It doesn't need to be hashtag Red Baron. I mean, we could start it. <laughs> it's fine. We're all going to be fine. Okay. Well, I'm I'm happy for you. You're going to take a couple of months off from drinking. Yes. I was hanging out with a friend earlier who also is off of dairy, which might even be more difficult than not drinking alcohol. Right. Because there's not alcohol in everything, but I feel like dairy and wheat are in everything. So people that act... Totally. And sugar. 
Like people that actively try to exclude things like that from their diet. Whew. I mean, at least you know what things are alcoholic. You're like, I can't have wine and I can't have a martini. But like people that exclude sugar from their diet, it's literally in everything. I don't even know how it's you do literally impossible. Like, like all you can eat is lettuce. I was gonna say all you can eat is carrots, but I'm pretty sure carrots, carrots have, have sugar. sugar. That's what I mean. <laughs> lettuce You're screwed. Lettuce is all you can eat. I mean, eat one piece of lettuce and an onion. Ew. A whole onion. Uh, bite into a right onion like an apple. Uh, no. Uh, no. Apples have sugar. No. No. no a bite into a red onion like an apple. <laughs> yes. That's all you can do. Nightmare. That is my actual nightmare because I hate onions. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry I've been in a bad mood lately. I know I haven't been myself, too. It's just that I'm extremely lonely. Extremely. And it's a loneliness that no one can take away. Carmelita shared her struggles with alcohol on a previous episode. She said that middle school hit her hard. So I wanted to know how she's maintained her health and sobriety after rehab. Right, plounge. And the plounge. It's a terrible name, but now it's stuck in my brain. So it's (laughs) it's the plounge forever now. I just don't take myself that seriously. So plounge is like very fitting for what's happening in here. I dig it. So I told you about these notes I have. Yes, my history. Uh, Can I tell you right now? I'm really jealous. Really? Yes. You? I don't think you are. No, I am. You would not want to read yours. I am. I was actually just talking with a friend about this the other day because she's rereading all her old journals. And I was saying I'm kind of jealous. I kind of have this scorched earth policy. (laughs) And so at various times in adulthood, when I was like in my 20s and I'd get ready to move to a new place, Mm -hmm. I would start like shredding and burning all these old journals, old notes. Yes, girl. I had a caboodle. I had Uh one of those like the big one, the big caboodles. And it was Full of notes. Oh, I'm we wrote sad. notes all the time, and it was full of notes. And I got They're rid gone. of them. They're gone. They're gone yeah. forever. No, Scorched earth. Your notes would be pure gold right now if we had them. <laughs> I'm so sad. So I'm jealous because yeah. it is. It's like you get that distance and to like reread these historical artifacts, <laughs> right? Of your life is really interesting. Yeah. My journals aren't nearly as interesting as the notes are. I sure. feel like I censored myself even in my journal. It's, well, someone finds it. Exactly. So it's like pretty just like fluffy bullshit, you know. Sure. I'm, I may have jotted down if someone broke my heart, but that's about it. Yeah. No details. Keep it PG. <laughs> exactly. I think my mom <laughs> did find like two notes of mine in my youth and mm. it led to, you know, big conversations I didn't want to be having. So no. <laughs> nobody wants to talk about You got to keep that shit under lock and key. <laughs> a lot of the notes are filled with depression. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, they're filled with people saying, you know, I hate my life. I hate myself. Like no one cares about me. Just kind of classic, classic depression and classic middle school. Right. Yeah. So after your experience and just continuing into adulthood, like what is your self-care routine? Are you still going to AA? Like what does that look like? My life depends on maintaining some kind of self-care thing. 
And that's, it's changed over the years. Mm -hmm. Um, I was very involved in 12 step groups for a really long time. Not so much anymore for a lot of reasons that are personal, but seeing a therapist, trying to find things that I can kind of do for myself. Uh, in my case, it's prayer. I kind of have my own kind of relationship with a God or a higher power. It's different from when I was a kid. It's something that works for me. Deep breathing, like, I mean, just whatever I can do, staying on a schedule. Yeah, I mean, all of that stuff is key. I think especially in my case, it's like, you know, I think all teenagers go through that kind of angst and issues with self-esteem and bullying and um, just the pains of growing up and right. kind of differentiating from your parents. And we all go through that. I also have, like, I have a mood disorder. I have depression. It's something I've dealt with in adulthood as well. So I have to do that. Like, it's part of being grown up is is doing this stuff. Mm -hmm. Doing Are, what I got to do. Do you take medication too? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I take an antidepressant. I think this is the longest run. I, I, I took antidepressants as a teenager um, when I got into treatment for alcoholism and did that for a while and then under the advisement of, you know, under like the care of a doctor got off of it when kind of the worst had passed and I was doing pretty well. Mm -hmm. And then over the years would have bouts of depression again and would get back on. And um, yeah, it's just part of my, mm -hmm. my routine. Do you have a regularly occurring appointment with your therapist? Yeah. Every other week. Every other week. Yeah. Okay. Years now. Yeah. I found somebody that I have a really good rapport with mm -hmm. and we've built this relationship mm -hmm. and she calls me on my shit when I need her to. Mm -hmm. I also have a lot of friendships, people who have had similar struggles mm -hmm. and we keep each other honest and they've seen me through some hard times and mm -hmm. I've seen them through some hard times and we're able to kind of talk through, we're able to talk through things and be supportive. And yeah. All of that stuff helps. Do you ever want to drink? Do I know? Which is so awesome. <laughs> yeah, should I have like, should we do like a clap for that? Because well, a lot of people, a lot of people, it is very common, you know, to continue, you know, to have times where you struggle with wanting to drink again, even if you choose not to, even if you decide not to do that, where that's a struggle. And mm -hmm. I've been really lucky. And I don't know how much of that is. My being able to tap into how bad it sucked, like right. how bad my life sucked. I've never gotten to a place where I've been able to romanticize how bad it was. Right. So, so drinking, no. There's definitely a lot of other self-destructive right. behavior that will come to mind mm -hmm. in hard times that I have to like, nah, I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not going there. And, and those can be a struggle sometimes, mm -hmm. but... Yeah, I've been fortunate in that because a lot, of, a lot of people find that that's something that comes up and is is hard to get through. And I've been fortunate. So when you have other self-harm, self-destructive ideations come, what do you do? Is there someone you can call? Like, what's I your work, reaction? I work through with my therapist. A lot of times it's taking a minute to pause. It's taking some deep breaths. It's waiting for it to pass. It's kind of falling back on 
the things that I know work in mm-hmm. these kind of situations, mm-hmm. whether it be a meditation or a prayer or calling someone or like sometimes it's as simple as throwing on a movie, like a tried and true go-to, something that gets your mind out of it. Um, sometimes it's kind of stepping up to do something that gets you out of thinking about yourself. It's walking the dog or helping somebody do something so that you're not focused on yourself so much. Lots of little things. Yeah. Lots of little things to get out of that headspace. Do you think that the Pope's blessing (laughs) 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 or was it a curse? I mean, that, that was it. This is helpful. This is hilarious. They used to joke about this all the time. So, dear listeners, <laughs> when Pope John Paul II came to the United States in 1987, I went to see him at the Carmel Mission, and they let all of the kids kind of come to the end of the pew. And so as he walked down the aisle towards the altar, he was laying his hand on everyone's forehead and giving them blessings. So I was blessed by the Pope, mm-hmm. Pope John Paul II, who is now a saint, by the way. I didn't know. So, so technically I was blessed by a saint. <laughs> and I used to joke about this actually when I first got sober. I, I went through a period in my late teens, early 20s where I was, I was, I was trying to figure out how it had all happened, like what had happened to me. Yeah. And I was angry at the God I grew up with. And Mm -hmm. I was angry that, that my religious upbringing didn't save me. Yeah. Didn't protect you. Thing that I went through and from these urges that I had. And so I was, I was real angry at the Catholic church for a while. (laughs) Um, we've, I've made peace and I, I kind of now identify as a Catholic in my own kind of weird quirky way. But at that time, I was really angry, and I used to joke about being blessed by the Pope and and how helpful it had been. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I remember a grown-up that I was talking, you know, kind of was like, like a mentor to me. He was much older. He was a middle-aged guy, and I was 18. He said something, well, how do you know it didn't help? You're here, aren't you? You're not still in the gutter. That's right. You made it out. Maybe it did. Maybe it didn't. It doesn't really matter because you're here. <laughs> I made peace. I made Good. Peace with it. Good. <laughs> life is so full of crap I could scream. It seems like life can never go right for me. I can never get good grades, never have a boyfriend that loves me, never have friends that will always be there for me. Remember Eric, the little goth kid, now big bald guy from Colorado? He learned some techniques as a teen that he now practices and shares with other people. Let's hear about it. I am a life coach. I am a uh, certified master practitioner in mindfulness. My work in the world is helping others become the best version of themselves they think they can possibly be. The real thing is, is not who you think you can be, but who are you willing to show up as? And you show up as... I'm a compassionate, grounded, and joyfully confident man. (laughs) Because I I, I added the joyfully because I think men a lot are not 
don't feel like they can have joy, like unadulterated joy, where you just yeah. in stern and stable and mature. And I'm like, that's boring. <laughs> I like I like the joyful edition. I want to be joyful. Yeah, that's true. The first time we met was when we talked about meditation. Yes, and so you taught is taught the right word. Yes, I, I, I guided. I, I prefer yes. guided because there's an implication with teaching that I'm giving you something that you didn't already have Mm -hmm. and mindfulness and life coaching and all of that stuff. One of I mean, even the catchphrase on my business card says helping you be the best version of yourself with the tools you already have. You have all the tools. My job is to just facilitate your understanding of the tools you already have, because we all have all the power to do all the things we want to do. We just have to believe it. Mm-hmm. And that's the hardest part. So how did you get into mindfulness meditation? Originally, I got into meditation in my early teens to combat depression. It was, it's been a very, very helpful tool to help me like process. Usually my meditations are mostly what processing my day and kind of like finding ways to be at peace mm-hmm. with everything that happened. Whether it's good or bad, it's not even like, because we also, I, one of the things that as someone who suffers from anxiety, you, you get spun up. Even on good things, you get spun up. Mm-hmm. And you end up peaking really high and crashing really hard. So meditation, mindfulness is all about kind of evening out those waves, uh. at least for me, is finding that kind of ease of balance where I flow through my life rather than constantly feeling like I'm fighting against mm-hmm. everything or just uh, hopping up and down. Yeah. Or ba- yeah, or bouncing all off over the place off the walls and everything. It's a way of kind of taking stock. I mean, that's kind of amazing that you learned that practice like at 14. How I actually was about? very very lucky that I had a uh, therapist offered that as a solution when I was going when I started treatment. I I've had a very complicated past. It's interesting because we're talking about the past and I realize how little I actually share of my past mm-hmm. in the in the day-to-day of life because there are some big points in my life that things changed in a huge fashion mm-hmm. and generally not in a positive way. And it's your history defines your experience, but only how you choose mm-hmm. to define it. So I generally don't talk about those things because they're not what define me. Like... I was a heroin junkie at 16. I was shortly after hospitalized for attempted suicide and Mm. spent 60 days in a mental institution. Those things certainly inform who I am now and make me, I think, hopefully a little more compassionate, a little more sympathetic. But they don't define me by any stretch of the means. I'm far from that scared little boy Mm -hmm. who didn't understand why his boyfriend thought it was okay to kill himself who struggled with feeling like that was that was the end game because so many people around me who struggled with their sexuality didn't make it through so i i i didn't as a as a teenager i didn't have a lot of hope i didn't have a lot of of belief that things were going to get better and so i did some things that i seriously regret actually i don't because I like me. Like, <laughs> I good. think about regret a lot. Because a lot, we talk about regrets a lot. I generally don't regret anything because I like 
who I am and where I am. And all of those things that happened before simply shaped who right. I am in this moment. Right. And I like that guy. That guy's pretty cool most yeah. of the time. I mean, I think you can look back and like wish that you didn't have to go through those things. It would have been easier, but I think like a lot of my growth of my personal growth came through not those experiences, but actually dealing with the aftermath right. of those experiences yes. and learning, oh, okay, I don't like we talk about uh, one of the things I always love is when when Western people talk about karma because <laughs> karma's going to punish you. They are like, there's this whole like feeling that it's some kind of mystical force out there that's like watching you and is going to smack you on the face <laughs> when you do something wrong. Whereas real, when in reality, karma is literally just the consequences, consequences. of your answer, Exactly. <laughs> you put it out into the world, it comes back to you. When I look at my life in terms of these were simply things that shaped me to where I am now, mm-hmm. I don't regret a single thing. They, it's given me tools and capabilities of talking with people and helping people because I have had experiences that, that are, I have a very vast array of experiences for someone as young or at, at that age, someone as young as mm-hmm. I was. Because I, 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 in turn, when I sobered up and cleaned up, I went on to help other kids who had addiction issues. And I helped other kids who were prone to suicide. I think my greatest accomplishment in life, or at least what feels to me like the most important accomplishment of my life, was when I when I was 18, 19, and 20, I led this group. It wasn't a it wasn't a therapy group. It was an alternative to doing drugs on Friday nights. Yes. So we'd go watch movies, we'd go bowling, and then we'd hang out and chat. One of those kids who more than likely would have probably died, graduated college. Like when he's a stellar human being and I got a letter from him about 10 years ago where he was like, none of this would have been possible without you. And my mind at that point was like, okay, I've done, I've done something good in this life. I could die happy right now. I'm not, I'm not interested in dying right now, but (laughs) for me, it was like, I've done some good, some tangible good for someone. So, okay, I'm, I'm good. Like that was all I needed to feel complete in my life. One of the things I've realized now as, as, a, as, a, as a teacher and as a, a mindfulness coach and as a life coach is that really that all is all it is. It's more opportunities to do good for people. Like yeah. My whole life can be framed for me personally and what good am I doing to the world? Like that is what makes me feel like I'm the best version of myself mm-hmm. is when I'm doing something good. Yeah. I know that mental health is an ongoing... Lifetime. Lifetime. Mm-hmm. Battle is not the right word. But what is Process. The... Process. Lifetime process. So is there anything that you've learned more recently? We kind of talked about like what happened in your teen years. Yeah. Anything more recent that you have been applying or that's been helping you? One of the biggest things and one of the things I personally found struggle is especially as, as, a, as a man and as a gay man who doesn't fit any molds. I don't. And coming from a family where men were taught to suppress emotion Mm -hmm. and really just as of late being actively engaged with my emotions, not reveling in whatever, (laughs) but actively acknowledging, hey, I feel like crap right now. And that's okay. 
and that too will this too shall pass but rather than trying to fight it or bury it or suppress it or escape it just accepting that this is how it is and that opened up a lot because you stop punishing yourself for feeling bad Mm -hmm. people with anxiety and people who struggle with anxiety and depression or at least in my case it's always been this this self-fulfilling loop of i feel bad and then i feel bad about feeling bad which Mm -hmm. makes me feel worse and it just cyclically continues so not uh, acknowledging hey i feel bad that's okay changes that whole dynamic because you're like oh okay it's 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 just normal uh, a lot of my my personal work as of late has been destigmatizing mental health in my own head mm-hmm. because we're all taught that you're supposed to just deal with it or ignore it and i'm like no this is real and valid and important work and if we try and deny that these things are here that doesn't make them go away it just leaves them on your plate for some for another time and i'm like mm-hmm. i'm not i'm not interested in that anymore yeah let's process and move on yeah where where can we how can people find how you how can people find me yeah. right now i do have a business facebook i have a uh, you can look up eric chase worthington on google and you'll get my business page but i also if you're if anyone is in denver that's listening to this i will be offering a uh, meditation to guanyin the bodhisattva of compassion at denver pagan pride what is pagan pride uh pagan is a catch-all for non-christian spiritual okay communities Uh personally i've been at what's called an eclectic pagan which is a not like a following a specific path. I'm a spiritual person more than a religious person. Okay. This particular batch of notes were hard to read, and most I would never, out of respect, share on this platform. But I'm glad that I had friends that I could talk to. And though I'm sure my responses were not very insightful, I feel honored that I got to be a listening ear or a reading eye to what was swirling around in my friends' heads. These friends that we just heard have discovered strategies to help them not only be aware of their thoughts and emotions, but to control and channel them toward positivity in their lives. They got a head start on learning these methods due to challenges early in teenhood. I'm going to go text a friend right now about how I'm feeling because that much hasn't changed. The title of this track is A Mouthful, Urbana Matronica by Spinning Merkaba. Merkaba.